Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. At first, all they wanted to do, it seems, was keep their religion pure and to stand firm on the law. I don't really know of any of us who would really have a major problem with that part of it, that they want to keep things pure and want to make certain the law is followed. That, that's not a bad thing. I think all of us would say that sounds like a really, really good thing. But over the years and over the decades and over a long, long period of time, that grew into this idea of we are different, we are set apart, which is also not a bad thing, but we look down on those who aren't just like us. They were the Pharisees, and I don't want to be one of them. Now, I had a couple of the pew packers ask me if I was going to lead that song this morning. Because the simple answer is no, but I don't want to be a Pharisee because a Pharisee is not fair, you see. Or, as another version of the song says, I don't want to be a Pharisee always living in a heresy. I don't want to be a Pharisee. They're called that, by the way. Because the name Pharisees just means separatists. And the idea was they wanted to so separate themselves from anything that was unholy. And again, that's that's not a bad thing. To separate from those things that are unholy, that are sinful and evil. But they took it to the extreme of making certain they didn't even associate with those who might be sinful and try to encourage or help. Now certainly, we don't want to be around those who are sinful to join in what they're doing. but, But they wanted to stay away and not help, encourage, teach And they were the holders of the law, just by way of one example. You know that Old Testament command, given the Ten Commandments. I know it's small small text, but Exodus 20, beginning of verse 8, the the commandment that gives the Sabbath day law. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And you remember how the law goes on to talk about how you should not work on the Sabbath day. You see that found in there more than once, the idea of, of not working on the Sabbath day. But to someone like a Pharisee, that begs the question, What's work? Well, aren't you thankful for people like the Pharisees? Because they don't leave you wondering. In fact, after just a little bit of time, they came up with a list to make sure you knew what qualified as work. It was sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, binding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool. Beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying, tanning, scraping hides, marking hides, cutting hides into shape, writing two or more letters, erasing two more or two or more letters, building, demolishing, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, putting the finishing touch on a project or an object, and transporting an object between a private domain and a public domain or for more than a distance of four cubits or six and a half feet within a public place. Aren't you thankful for people like them? Because now you know what work is. 
On the Sabbath day, you couldn't do any of those things. But even more amazing, they went on. These were the 39 things that constitute work. But if you're a Pharisee, even that begs the question, doesn't it? What constitutes building? What constitutes demolishing? How much work can you possibly do to kindle a fire? Why only two letters? And so the Pharisees built, and promise me, I promise you, I do not have a slide with all of these because there's not a font small enough to put them on there. They put scads and scads and scads of traditions that they bound upon the people. And they said, you must follow these as well. I've been called a Pharisee, and I'm sure you probably have too. I have literally been called a Pharisee because I teach and preach the Bible exclusively. I want to say this as clearly at the outset of this lesson as I know how. Preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word in love is not Phariseeism. It is not legalism. Phariseeism goes way beyond preaching the truth of God's Word. I don't want to be a Pharisee. And I hope you have your Bible and have it turned back to Matthew chapter 15. That text that Daniel read for us a little while ago. Because what I want to do this morning is I want to point out some things that Jesus said and that are also found just in the text itself from Matthew chapter 15, those first nine verses, that give us three things about the Pharisees that make them the kind of people that I don't want to be like at all. And I know you don't either. Just even invoking the word Pharisee just kind of makes our skin crawl a little bit. I don't want to be one of these people. But if we are not careful, some of the same things or attitudes that they held to and had, we can fall into. It takes a lot of heart work to make certain I don't become a Pharisee. In the first place, I don't want to be a Pharisee because Pharisees put their traditions on par with, and sometimes even over, the law of God. This whole conversation starts with the Pharisees asking a question that at first seems like kind of a normal question. Verse 2, they ask the question of Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands? Now, we read that and we think, well, that's not a bad thing. Hand washing is a good thing. I, I hope you wash your hands and, and before they eat. And by the way, if you don't, please tell me so I won't be in line behind you at a fellowship meal. Okay, we, but this is, this is not a question about hygiene. This is not a statement about going to the waterfall and making sure you simply wash your hands for, for hygiene's sake. This falls in, did you notice, the tradition of the elders. What's going on here? You don't have to turn back there because it's several chapters, but you may remember in Leviticus chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 in the Old Testament, there are all these laws in the Old Testament that deal with dietary things, clean and unclean foods, for example. There's all these lists of the, the clean foods that could be eaten, the unclean foods that couldn't be eaten, and why. And we read that sometimes and go, what in the world is all this stuff about? That's where this tradition came from. You think, what? The Pharisees held to the idea that just in case, not you had eaten, but just in case you had touched one of these unclean foods, you need to wash your hands. But on top of that, you need to wash your hands in a very, very specific way, they said. You need to drip water onto your fingertips with your hands facing upward so that the water then could 
go down your hands and off your wrists. And it was as if the uncleanness were then being removed from your body. Then you took your hands and put them back into a bowl of water with your fingers facing downward. Put water on the wrist and let it flow down over your fingers. Then you put your hands into the water, pulled out water, made one hand into a fist, and rubbed your palm with one fist, then swished with water and rubbed the other palm with the other fist. And if you did not wash your hands in that way, you were unclean. In fact... Their tradition went so far as to say, he who eats bread with unwashed hands is as bad as he who commits fornication. I don't want to be a Pharisee, do you? Now, did you notice Jesus did not say, it's a bad idea to wash your hands. That's not what he's saying at all. Did you notice the contrast between what they ask Jesus and how Jesus begins his response. They ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But when Jesus responds, he doesn't talk about the tradition at all, at least not at the beginning. He, he says, and why do you break, not the tradition, that's not what he says, is it? And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, that's a pretty strong statement, that they were breaking a commandment of God. And not only that, they were breaking a commandment of God by putting their own tradition on top of these things. And so, Jesus makes a very strong statement. It would be even stronger if it wasn't substantiated. But that's why Jesus goes into this conversation about some of the Old Testament laws about honoring parents. See, he lists two for them. Honor your father and your mother, found in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 12. Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. The New American Standard Bible has must surely be put to death. Exodus 21 and verse 17. There is absolutely no way that the Pharisees could have missed those laws, one of which was one of the Ten Commandments. There's no way they could have misunderstood those two commandments. They're about as straightforward as possible. But Jesus says, you're breaking those commandments for the sake of your tradition. And that's when he gets into this thing about about what they did with their money. Verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Now, what's that all about? Some of you may even have a Bible that uses a weird word there. It's it's Corban. What, What you've been given to me is Corban. What in the world is Jesus talking about? The Pharisees, in their tradition, knew those laws. But they didn't want to honor father and mother all the time, especially financially. And so what they could do is they could take a certain part of their wealth, a certain part of their possessions, put in our modern terminology, maybe one of their bank accounts, and they could basically state a vow before God that this part of my possession, this part of my, my wealth is Corbin. And the idea behind that is I don't have to use it for honoring parents because I'm going to use it as God would see fit. Now, that doesn't sound all that bad at first until you realize the loophole they put in for themselves, that once you had made that vow, all that meant you had vowed was, I don't have to honor my parents with it. I can use it any way I want to. The vow was, I don't have to use it to honor parents. It's not, I'm going to give it all to the temple or I'm going to give it all to the priesthood. 
But you see, people who stood around the Pharisees and heard them pronounce Corban over the stuff would have said, wow, they're going to give all of this to God. And Jesus is saying, I know your heart. You're not only not using it for something godly, you're using it on yourself. You are breaking a commandment of God for the sake of some tradition, and even beyond that, almost a loophole in the tradition, so that you only seek to yourself. H. Leo Bowles, I'm not going to read his whole comment, but if you have the Gospel Advocate Commentaries, he does a really good job of summarizing this whole convoluted loophole. At the end of his discussion, he writes this. He says, The Pharisee was not bound, nor expected, actually to devote Corban to God. He was only bound by it not to support his parents. He might freely use it upon himself. Now, how many of us are appalled by that? That not only were they not taking care of their parents, they were doing out of selfish reasons. They had built in a loophole in their tradition to just do whatever they wanted to do. And Jesus is saying, you're breaking the commandment of God for the sake of a tradition. Our tradition's bad. They can be, but they don't have to be. Traditions are just traditions. Traditions are fine. But what's our standard? The Word of God. It can be very, very easy to become so comfortable with something that is a tradition that I expect everyone else to do that tradition. But I must expect people to follow the Word of God. What songs should we sing on Sunday morning? Well, now, wait a minute. Right there, I mentioned two things that are commandments of God, didn't I? We, we meet together on Sunday morning. That's a commandment, or, or Sunday anyway. We meet on the Lord's Day. That's very quick. And we meet together. Hebrews 10, 25, we come together. And, and we sing and worship. Ephesians five sixteen, Colossians three sixteen. We don't add an instrument of music because that's not authorized at all. So those are commandments. But should we sing old songs or should we sing new songs? Or should we sing fast songs or should we sing slow songs? Or should we sing songs that are deeply theological or songs we sing the same words over and over and over and over and over and over? and over and over and over again we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs do i love that we sing old songs sometimes absolutely some of my favorite songs are older than the hills <laughs> but just because a song was written before how great thou art does not make it more spiritual than something written in the last 20 years and vice versa just because a song is new and uses some updated terminology does not make it more spiritual than something that's two or three hundred years old. But I can get so bent out of shape when they leave one of them new songs. I had a friend, and this isn't in my notes, but I was reminded about this last week. I had a friend who's passed away now. I love this man. Let's sing all over western Kentucky. And he went to a congregation one time and led as the deer. And afterwards, a lady walked up to him and said, who ever heard of a song about a thirsty deer? He said, David in Psalm 42, because that's where that song came from. As long as it's the truth, I don't need to just sit there and act like, well, they just don't like me anymore because they don't leave the songs I like. Because then I'm breaking a commandment of God to sing and to sing with all of my heart. And we could go on and on 
and on and on. But if we are not careful, we hold to tradition as if it's law. When God says, the commandments are what matters. I follow the commandments of God. Traditions are fine, so long as they don't supersede the commandment of God. I don't want to be a Pharisee. And I also don't want to be a Pharisee because Pharisees lack heart. We know that because the Pharisees, we we see two things in this text that talk about that. First of all, how much heart do you have to lack to figure out a law where you don't have to take care of your parents? I mean, even if it didn't just specifically state it, we know they lacked heart. When you come up with that kind of tradition where I don't have to take care of my parents, you lack heart. But Jesus also specifically states it, does he not? When he brings in the prophecy from Isaiah and he says it applies to the people that their heart is far from me. This may be one of the reasons sometimes that I or we are accused of being Pharisees. It's often referred to as legalism. That's such a loaded term now. It's just thrown around basically to end the conversation, to shut down the conversation. But the idea is that we spend so much time defending the truth that we never get down off of our high horse and actually care. Actually care for God or actually care for people. Now before we get too defensive, we need to make sure we understand that we are to be speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. But we also need to understand that we are to contend for the truth, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude wrote in Jude verse 3. But we never let the truth, if we never let the truth, cause us to deeply love the Lord. And if we never let the truth infiltrate our heart and transform us into ones who care and love those who are lost, who are hurting, we're missing the point of what the law actually says. We were saved to help save others. We were saved to serve. Our lives, Paul would write to the Philippians, are to be as light shining in a dark world, literally as luminaries, lights in the sky, uh, stars in the sky in a dark world. And that includes teaching and defending and standing for the truth. But it also includes having a heart for the hurting and the lost. It is not an either-or thing. We are living in a world where it's as if you have to be on either side of the extreme. Or you have to be on one side that says, I'm going to defend the truth and I'm going to just be this kind of person that nobody else can get in and I'm going to be cold-hearted and I'm going to make sure I always preach and teach the truth and anybody who's not like that is just wrong. There are other people who say, don't worry about doctrine. All, all this is about really is loving folks and smiling at folks and getting out of the church buildings and, and helping at soup kitchens and, and helping with this service project and that sort of... Whoever said it had to be one or the other? Folks, it's both. It's absolutely both. By the way, speaking the truth in love still includes speaking the truth. It still takes telling people the truth. It still takes defending the doctrines of Jesus Christ. But we don't do it in such a cold-hearted way that no one wants to know those things anymore. It's both sides of doing those things over and over and over again. Oh, but they might be offended. It's not that we're throwing Bible verses down their throat over and over again. But it's that we want their souls to be saved. And that takes speaking the truth in love. A Pharisee has no heart because a Pharisee stands for what they think is the truth, but they don't want to let anybody else in. They want to stand off and not not really teach and encourage and care. Christians are very different because we still stand for the truth, 
But we do teach, and we do encourage, and we do care. Number three, I don't want to be a Pharisee because Pharisees are hypocritical. I love, I love reading people that say, we need to talk more like Jesus because Jesus, come on up here, that's fine. Okay, that's all right. I was going to have fun there for a minute. That's good. I, I love hearing people talk about how, how Jesus just was always just so kind and so loving and never said anything that was offensive. Have they read Matthew chapter 15? Jesus looked directly at these people, and what, two of the first words he said to them were, You hypocrites. Now, I'm not sure I could get away with that on a Sunday morning very often, but Jesus was so direct. You hypocrites, because Jesus could see the motive behind what they were doing. And then he takes that prophecy from Isaiah and said, it applies to you. Well, did Isaiah prophesy concerning you? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They teach his doctrine, the commandments of men. Jesus was not afraid to state exactly what needed to be said. Why did he call them hypocrites? You, you probably know this. And the reason the picture is on the screens up here is the term hypocrite originally came from the Greek theater. And all the actors in that day and time were men, which is a problem if you have a play that features women. And so some of the men would wear a woman's mask and play a woman in the play. But even beyond that, what if in this scene, the actor, the, the person in the scene is supposed to be happy and in this scene, that same person is supposed to be sad. Well, you put on a mask, one that says I'm happy, and you change scenes and put on one that says you're sad, which is why these masks have become kind of the symbol of the theater even today. And the idea became a hypocrite is someone who wears a mask. A mask. They are not on the outside what they are on the inside. They put on the right face for the right situation. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and saying, you're like that. Now, it's interesting that he says that about people who other people would have said, wow, religiously, they've got it all together. I mean, they know all these laws. Some scholars even suggest you had to go to the Pharisees to figure out what the law actually said. You had to go to them and get the interpretation. They've got it all figured out. They, they, they stand on the corners, and, man, they pray these prayers that are just absolutely fabulous. And, and, and I mean, when I walk by the temple... You should hear all the change that tinkles down through the, through the pipes going into the temple that they're giving. These people have it, and Jesus says, they're hypocrites. Because what's in here doesn't match anything like what they're wearing out here. Do you not find it interesting that the prophecy that Jesus brings forward specifically mentions worship? In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. Now, there's a couple of applications for that for us, aren't there? One, obviously, is we cannot take the commandments of God and change them, or it is vain worship. It's one of the reasons we preach and teach against things like instrumental music and clapping and all that sort of stuff is, is because God has made it clear we, we sing. And we only sing. And so it is vain or empty or useless worship to add on or to combine with commandments of God to add on the commandments of men. We understand that. But is there also not another application here? Folks, I can sing all the right songs. I can hit all the right notes. 
I can pray along with all the prayers that have all the exact right phrases in them. I can listen to a sermon, even follow along in the Bible, or have an outline in front of me, or mark my Bible. I can, I can drop some money in the plate or a check in the plate, and when the, when the plates are passed, I can, I can take the, the bread, I can take the fruit of the vine, I can dress just right, I can look just right, I can smile just right, and never have worshipped at all. Because my heart wasn't in it. And nobody else in the room will have known it. Because I sure looked like I was worshiping. My mouth was open wide on those songs. My, he- my head was bowed low on those prayers. I even said amen a time or two. I don't know if that's legal or not, but I did it. And I never worshiped at all. Because my heart was far from here. It was on the game this coming weekend. It was on all the activities of the afternoon. It was on all the things I've got to do later this week. I don't want to be like that. I I want my heart and my mouth, I want my actions and my words to line up with the will of God. I want to make certain that when I worship and when I'm out in my daily life, I want to make sure all of it lines up with the will of God, that there's no mask, that I'm not a hypocrite. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Even that term still conjures up bad thoughts of being overbearing, unloving, hypocritical. Just calling someone a Pharisee doesn't make them one. If someone is upholding the teachings of Scripture and, and you disagree with them, that, does, that doesn't mean they have the problem necessarily. Where God has legislated, we have no right to change those things. That person is not a Pharisee. But where God has left things, and He has in many areas, in the realm of expediency or judgment, we must be very, very careful. We must never waver from upholding and defending the truth of God's Word. There can be absolutely no backing down from from defending and teaching and holding on to what God has revealed, no matter what culture says, no matter what friends might say, no matter what the religious world around us might say, even sometimes no matter what I might feel about the matter. I must make certain that I always defend the truth of God's Word. But where God has not spoken, we must, as the old-timers used to say, remain silent where the Bible is silent. And make certain that when we do have traditions, that they are just that. They're just traditions. And they're not higher than the ways of God. We must always check our hearts and make certain that we are speaking the truth, speaking the truth in love. And we must make certain that when we worship or in our daily life, that it's always in line with the will and the word of God. And that it's not just an outward show for others to think, oh, look how wonderful and religious he is. Look how faithful he is. I I don't want to be a Pharisee. But I think all of us would admit that if we're not careful, it can be very easy to become one. Because it takes a serious, serious and constant searching of the heart to make sure not just what I'm doing is right, but why I'm doing it is right. I've struggled for, I guess, two or three weeks of how this lesson together of how to extend the invitation. Because the easy thing is, do you want to be a Pharisee? And everybody goes, well, no, of course not. It would be the easiest invitation ever, right? Because nobody wants to be that. 
But also what we're really asking this morning is not just a matter of, of some responding and saying, I've been doing this or I've been doing that, because really what we're talking about this morning is, is a matter of the heart. And not everybody wants to stream down the aisles and say, well, I've got a problem in my heart. But there's nothing wrong with admitting that and saying this really is a struggle. It's not that I'm doing wrong stuff, but my heart hasn't been right. And I want to repent of just being outwardly religious. All my heart has not been in the will of God. Is that you this morning? We teach and we defend the truth in love. Maybe this morning there's someone here who's never rendered obedience to the gospel. May I lovingly tell you that God wants you to be his child. And he's told you how. If you believe in the one he sent, his son Jesus, if you'll turn from sin, those things that separate you from God in repentance, if you'll confess his sweet name and be immersed, baptized in water, as lovingly as I can tell you, that's the only way to become a Christian. And maybe this morning there's someone in here who's never done that and needs to. Or maybe this morning as a Christian, as lovingly as I know how to tell you, maybe there's someone here this morning as a Christian who says, I haven't been a Pharisee, but my heart is struggling. Aren't you glad God forgives? And he will. And maybe this morning you need to return. Will you come while we stand and sing to encourage you?